for July 25th, 2022. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 734. We want you to feel listened to. It's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, and the management apologizes for any inconvenience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I, there's a reason I say that. I'm Matt Rather. Yeah. With me are my good friends Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. And Mark Lee. Hello, Mark. I hope I'm not the management. That's you, Matt. No, right? that's, Just to be that's clear. me. Yeah, it's. Oh, okay, well, okay, I, okay. I suppose. I mean, who? Or is, is, oh, oh, oh! It's it's the holding company, right? If not me, then if not me, then who? Look, we <laughs> yeah. don't publicly comment on policies and procedures as it regards to disciplinary action in regards to ongoing investigations. Yeah, exactly. Right. We we don't publicly yeah re, uh, respond to allegations about the the activities of the company as regards the activities of the company. Yep. So uh, <laughs> no, last week I made a mistake in the in the podcast feed, and it's funny. I I have like automations built up that where i i don't have to do this sort of stuff i don't have to like think about this sort of stuff anymore but for a variety of reasons um actually no one one reason mark got covid so i can blame that (laughs) but uh we pushed back the obi-wan episode so obi-wan was supposed to be um 732 it ended up being 733 and i had a stub post in the back end for the episode that was already pointing to 732 and i didn't i didn't check and so we i had the wrong audio i had the previous week's audio in in the last episode i'm sorry for that we we caught it uh actually richard uh caught it uh you know overthinker richard rosenbaum caught the uh caught the error and uh pointed out on slack and pete did the heroic thing of tagging me uh, the do you like when I do that, Matt? I don't want to annoy you. I just know it's early in the morning. No, I, so I better wake you up. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't have seen. I wouldn't have seen it otherwise. You know, and yeah. and as it was, I I crawled out of bed, bleary eyed, at five in the morning, and and you know re republished the thing on the on the thing, and it was uh it was all better, and everything's everything all all is right in the world again. And I I did it in such a way that the unique ID, the like um. RSS feed items have a unique ID, and that's how uh, pod, uh, podcast apps and any RSS app dedupe the the feed and like tell you that you've had this episode or not. So you should have gotten a little later, uh, you know, Monday morning rather than midnight Eastern, a little later in the morning. But you should have gotten a good seven thirty three. But I'm sorry, I'm sorry about that. Um, but but uh, you know what didn't ring the customer service line. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, like, and all the people queuing up for for uh, for their overthinking at podcasts at the you know at the what the bagel de- at the deli counters of America or whatever in the morning, like you know I'd like a bacon egg and cheese and a uh, and an overthinking a podcast, please. <laughs> you know uh, they didn't have anyone they didn't have anyone to complain to, and and it struck me that like kind of me in my fortress of solitude. Um, which actually is a good name for my apartment. I live in a, uh, I live in a, uh, like a loft apartment that's one of these kind of new construction modern things that has, you know, it's probably like what? 30 feet high or some ridiculous thing and like uh you know has an open like off street level like you have to jump to get in like, yeah to yeah exactly there's uh <laughs> yeah it's that's my that's my wad 
Uh, yeah. is that, <laughs> they have a series of boxes of like graduating heights, you know, and you, you, uh, and that's how you, that's how you determine, uh, what, what floor you live on. It's your level of physical fitness when you, when you get to the apartment. No. Um, and, uh, you know, it has these stark white walls. It's the shape of kind of a shoebox turned on its side, you know, and, uh, I, I used to call it the, uh, the whited sepulcher. But um, I, I think I should start calling it the Fortress of Solitude. And I, I realized I was sort of, uh, I had kind of messed up this service in the, the Fortress of Solitude. And it was kind of filtering down to all around the country and world where people download this thing to their podcatchers via the, the content delivery network that we use. And, uh, and yet I was kind of fixing it in this, you know, in this one centralized space at this one like particular Macintosh computer, uh, in Los Angeles. And I thought that's if, if there's, if nothing else is a metaphor for the world and, and trust me, nothing is, that is a metaphor, uh, for, for the world right now. I don't know. Pete Fenzel agree or disagree. Oh, I would agree. Those in are fact, your, those we... are your choices. Agree or disagree. <laughs> Oh, it's always – I never want to be argumentative, right? This isn't a podcast about disagreeing. This is a <laughs> podcast about embracing what we love. Um, Matt, have you ever felt like you missed your chance to be present for history? <laughs> yes, uh, all the time, actually. Okay, so this dovetails with what you've been saying. Yes, I would definitely agree that there's a sense that you and your computers solving the podcast problems of the world thousands and tens of thousands of miles away relates somewhat to a great event that took place, a monumental event, I would suggest, that the Overthinking It podcast very nearly had the inside track on, but didn't. Uh, as you have heard, Mark, of course, are you, is it okay if I share the details of this situation? Oh, please. Yes. All right. So as you may have, as you may have heard, of course, if you've listened to the previous several minutes of the podcast, rather than just skip five minutes in to get past the trolling and the confoundment that you get at the beginning oh, of God. the podcast. Oh, God. Oh, no, please. Please don't. <laughs> don't do that. Don't tell do me, that. It's tell me you part. don't do that. You don't Mark Marin the Mark Marin the <laughs> podcast. Like, I'm going to go right to the interview. I don't want any of the 15 minutes of rambling at the beginning. Oh, my heart would be broken. No, my poor heart part. would be broken. It's it's like it's like cutting off the the edges of your brownie tray. It's like what what are you doing to yourself? Enjoy life. Uh, so so Mark had COVID. Uh, we've we've each in our turn in the Overthinking It podcast had COVID at one point or another, and I'd say over the course of the last four months, we we've each had our turn, and uh, and that's you know with taking adequate or more than adequate precautions. We've all been vaccinated. None of us had particularly serious cases. They were unpleasant and symptomatic across the board, but but not dangerous. And uh, so we're, we're lucky in that respect. But Mark most recently had COVID, you know, that time that we talked about the Jersey Shore for the podcast rather than about Obi-Wan Kenobi. And, and we were kind of scrambling because, of course, Mark was very ill and couldn't join us. That time that Mark had COVID Mark and Mark's family and my family were slated to go together to Sesame Place. Uh, and I don't think it's exactly the same time that we recorded that podcast. It might have been the week after. I forget exactly when it was. But as you might recall, for the first and only time in perhaps the last 40 years, Sesame Place, which is called Sesame Place Philadelphia, but it's really outside of Trenton, New Jersey, across the state line in Pennsylvania, was in the news, like in a big way. And Mark and I could have been there. And I got to think we could have done something, right? We could have helped. We could have avoided the horrible situation. I just feel this crushing guilt that if only I'd been there, you know, I could have done something. Um, 
And as you may have heard, and of course, we're not going to we're not going to take this isn't the overthinking of podcast. We're not going to underthink this and talk only about the surface level concerns. We have another topic we want to talk about. But to summarize what happened in case you missed it, a a, a character, a fur character, right? They they make the distinguish in these parks between fur characters and face characters. The fur ones don't talk and they have like full masks and the face ones are the ones that kind of relate to you and talk to you. Uh, and, and a fur character, the character of Rosita at Sesame Place outside of Trenton, New Jersey, uh, in, in the general Philadelphia area, in a video clip that circulated broadly online, showed an apparent and targeted, let's just say, extreme callous disregard for two young African-American girls, right, um, that was not matched with her behavior toward any of the other people in their general vicinity. And this was taken as an affront, as I think was reasonable. And uh, and and it caused a big PR storm. Uh, and uh, a lot of people were talking about it. And of course, part of it is just, you know, it's, uh, it's the unsurprising litany of continued bad behavior and or, right, it could also be uh, the, the sort of accustomedness to bad behavior. I'm not even going to underthink that aspect of it. Let's assume for the case of this conversation that what happened in this moment was like a bad thing and somebody acted poorly, made a bad call or was being cruel or racist or whatever. Right. Let's just say that's what happened, because the thing that's interesting to me in terms of overthinking the situation. Right. Uh, was a different detail in the story. Right. So so we're assuming that the actor that was in the Rosita costume was deliberately, callously disregarding and insulting to these two girls, these two black girls, because they were black. Um, the mom very reasonably goes to the staff, right, of the Sesame Place, somebody who's nearby, and asks who the actor is, like who the performer is, who's inside of the suit, and who their manager is. And the staff doesn't know. That, that This is the thing that really sticks out to me as interesting. And I think when we want to talk about overthinking this moment in Sesame Place that Mark and I could have been present for and perhaps could have averted or in some way made worse uh, by involving ourselves, um, they did not know who was in the suit, which might be a stock answer. It might not. But that was the answer that this woman got. And nobody pointed her to the manager. And that's the account that was given that I, that I read in the news. Uh, and instead – so meanwhile, nobody there – told this woman anybody who could help her. And then, you know, a week later, you have the Sesame Workshop itself publicly apologizing to her and to, like, the whole world and pledging to be better, right? Not to, And, like, this is not Sesame Place, which is a theme park that's run out of the SeaWorld conglomerate. This is, like, Sesame Street, the production company that makes the show, that manages the brand and all that other stuff. And... What was really interesting to me is that it seems like a really unbalanced situation, right? And not a new one, not a one that any of us are familiar with, unfamiliar with, which is that the centralized notion, right? The sort of centralized entity of Sesame Street, let's say, the sort of numinal notion of Sesame Street as a brand, as a series of activities, as a large association of different people doing different Sesame Street-esque things, have felt and expressed a profound sense of responsibility for this thing that had happened, at least in its own terms, right? They were like, oh, you know, we're so sorry we did this. We're, you know, we need to be better. This was really bad. But the people who were actually there not only didn't remedy the situation at all, but like didn't even know. It, it was it was not even it was not even a question that could that that was being answered as to like who would you even talk to 
in order to address the situation. And you can imagine a situation where the mother complains. She's immediately apologized to sincerely. She gets free tickets. She gets like the free the free meeting with the uh, with with the characters. And she she has a sincere apology for a very negative experience. She's upset. It's kind of ruined her trip, but it doesn't become national news. Right. And also she feels like somebody cares. That's the other side of it, right? Is oh, I had a problem and I and I said something and somebody cared. Now you could you could suggest that well, nobody really does care, and I don't think that's really the case because in these kinds of organizations, you know, people are doing their jobs. So whatever their attitude is, I think a lot of the time there are ways to get people to you know do the right thing, you know, in, uh, one way or the other. the The question of whether a person in an organization is doing the right thing is not strictly a question of what their personal feelings or attitudes are about things in general, right? There are ways that you get people to do things. And I think that, uh, and I don't mean that as like pull out their toenails, but like, that's what I wanted to talk about is, and, and I think the way I expressed pulling it out, to you Pulling guys, out their toenail? You wanted to talk no, no, about no. pulling out people's toenails? We have ways of making them talk. We have ways of making them apologize. But no, but what I wanted to talk to you guys about. One toenail. Two toenails. <laughs> I don't know where the device is. Emma don't have time for that right now. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> Emma don't have time to know what the device. Uh oh. <laughs> nom 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 nom. Um, but but this was the thing that that felt the most overthinkable about this situation that in his this moment in history that felt so close and yet so far. Which was I described it to you guys in our conversation prepping for this as as a centralization crisis. And by crisis, I mean. A, a crux, a a a moment at which different trends are moving in a collision and applying pressures that are don't have a clear resolution, that don't have a clear solution. Um, and I'm not, and I don't even want to talk specifically about this Sesame Place situation as as the sort of quintessential example of this. But it jumps out to me as a moment in pop culture that provides an opportunity to discuss this, which is, uh, I mean, it's it's the hollowing out of the front line. I mean, I guess. Before I go on, before I delve deeper, I'll pause. Does anyone have any response, reaction, thoughts, want to comment at all about the Sesame Place thing or about anything I've brought up about this whole situation? Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, Pete, I mean, if I were there, I don't know about you, but I would have just gone social justice vigilante and um, <laughs> just, you know, uh, held a listening session on the spot. Oh, yeah. yeah everyone yeah, involved, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that would have been doing yeah. the right thing. Oh, just, yeah, clearly, just so clearly, we're clear, right? We would have oh, fixed yeah. it. Us fixing it is exactly the not the problem itself, but the solution to the problem. Right? <laughs> um, we, we are, of course, kidding, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. wait, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't have written a, a catchy song about listening and, like, uh, you know, put stock footage of like children running around over. I have, you know, I would have grabbed Rosita by the sides of her ears and I would have said, "Look at them! Look at them! Don't ignore them." Uh, except I would have said it in Spanish because Rosita is the one who speaks Spanish, right? In my fantasy, in which I'm actually able to do it. <laughs> let, me try, <laughs> let me try to lay out a few things that are, yeah. that are really uh, cogent or uh, yeah. salient for, for this crisis of centralization that we're talking yeah. about. Um, one, Wait. let's just call out the very obvious thing, right? This is not a, a independent local amusement park, right? This is for one of the uh, largest brands in children entertainment. Like, mm -hmm. full stop. Yeah. Right? Um, like right up there with um, with Disney. I mean, Sesame Place Philadelphia isn't really Disney World, but Sesame Street has some some cojones or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, some juice. So, 
some juice there's, box. There's there's also um, the internet and social media, which like um, it, it it centralizes, it collapses, and it explodes at the yes. same time. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is that like um, it centralizes and that it like it has. It, we talked about it before, right? It's it it brings everything together all at once, all the time, right? There's only one. Everything gets thrown into one um, one contextless, ridiculous stew pot of um, nonsense and extreme extremities of all sorts. Right. Including like, you know, this this instant this incident was not confined into a particular locale. It then becomes everywhere because the discourse is is centralized. Yeah. Right. Right. And everything's visible, right? That 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 the previous limitation of only being able to see and hear things that you're proximate to, like we would never, we have would have might have seen this if we had been there. If this is 1985, no one else would have ever heard about it except for us talking about it on our radio show, on our CB ra- uh, pirate radio program, that we would <laughs> be broadcasting from off the coast of the Long Island of Long Island <laughs> into the United States. Hey, uh, radio hey, Pete, Pete. Hey, uh, uh, Fenzelian, this is, uh, this is M Dubs out on the bleeding edge. Have you heard about this, uh, racism they got, uh, going on in here at the Sesame Place? Come back. <laughs> That's a big 10 4 there, Roger Dodger. We got a cookie monster over on the, uh, on the 10 4. Come on. What? I don't know. I, I, I need to push up on my, on my convoy. I, 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 wish I, I wish I could keep this bit going, but I just want to throw one last thing there, yeah. which is about like, um, just to, to expand just a little bit in which you talk about the, the collapse of the, the, the hollowing out of the front line. Yes, well, yes, yes. Which is like, you know, that in, in, insofar as like authority and decision making um, have become centralized because of it goes back to the brand piece, right? Because it's such a powerful brand because um, the powers that be who own the brand needed to scale and therefore decisions and, and important thoughts and decision making uh, need to be centralized at whatever big headquarters for this theme park company as slash Sesame Workshop, um, such that um, the people that are closest to the actual human beings and those who are giving and receiving of services are not actually empowered to do anything meaningful themselves, right? Like, they don't make the characters, the scripts aren't done for them, uh, you know, hiring standards uh, and HR policies come from a nameless entity up in the sky, right? And it's not human beings relating to each other um, in a decentralized kind of society, uh, you know, group by group sort of way that we uh, were evolutionary, evolutionarily set up to do. And instead, it's uh, this uh, behemoth, centralized right. behemoth that we've created. Th- though at the same time, on one hand, people aren't accustomed to relating to each other, I think, in the manner that we're talking about. Uh, but in the same token, the degree, the the level of risk and the degree of oversight makes sense when you evaluate them. Because if one person playing Rosita screws up at Sesame Street or acts in a malicious way, it does affect the entire brand. So how right. come? So it would it would make sense for the brand to want to have some form of oversight, and not only the Sesame Street brand, but the SeaWorld people who do own Sesame Place, which is also another conglomerate, right? So, like, they would want to – I mean, SeaWorld probably wishes that it could go back 15 years and change how it manages it, its image in a huge way. 20 years. So like, get those – watch Free Willy and then immediately start start changing things. But um, Or maybe read the script before it comes out. Uh, but the point being that um, there are reasons that you would expect these sorts of organizations, whether they are – organizations of people or organizations of ideas to have oversight mechanisms. But at the same time, you would hope 
not hope, but 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 there is there are functions that are not happening because of the delegation, right? The sort of the the centralization is really the word of those functions to these other authorities, which is a consequence of them having oversight. And then at the same time, who knows if the person that they talked to even worked for the park, right? Could have been a contractor. You know, like so, like there's a lot of staffing at events. Here, here's another example, right? Here's here's another example of of a Sesame Place esque. This is a much smaller scale pop culture thing. Um, you guys remember the sort of mini scandal? Maybe it was you don't remember it as a mini scandal when our alma mater announced that you could no longer go to the bathroom during the tailgating of football games, right? Um, do you remember this? Or did this did this at all cross your radar at all? This I have a vague recollection of this. Yeah. Yeah. There's, so, yeah. So like so the issue here is that there's an old stadium. This is a, a college football stadium, right? Old, old stadium where the bathrooms are inside of a sort of fenced in area, but are not in the stadium proper. The stadium itself has no facilities for concessions or anything like that because it's basically made of poured concrete. And all of the food and drink happens in the tailgating areas out in the parking lots and parks and fields around the stadium. Uh, in order to prevent security problems or increase, like, make the flow of people in and out of the area better, which is, I think, largely managed by security contracting companies uh, and, and that were probably dealing with blowback from times that they weren't getting people into the stadium fast enough, right? Like, the, the, the people in charge made the decision that you would no longer be able to, like, get into the stadium unless you were going in to watch the game. And the consequence of this is that it blocked people from going to the bathroom, which meant that there that there were porta potties out in tailgating. But if you were elderly or disabled or like you had a little kid and you wanted to change their diaper and you didn't want to do it in a porta potty, these facilities that might have previously been available to you weren't available anymore. And it is interesting. And and so it, it, what occurs to me in this conversation is, OK, ideally, if you were one of those people, right, and you really couldn't, you couldn't fit your wheelchair into a porta potty and you needed to go to the bathroom and you're, you know, you graduated in the class of 1926, right? And you're like 100 years old, 120 years old now, I guess. And you want to go to the bathroom before the football game starts, um, that somebody on the ground would let you in, right? You would just go there and you'd be like, look, I know there's a rule. This is a reasonable situation where we would bend the rule, right? Like, I trust that you're an adult and a human being who can make reasonable decisions. Like, Please let my great great grandfather, who fought in World War One, uh, go to the bathroom, right? Um, and you would expect, you would think and hope that somebody there would be capable of doing that. But I, I do think that that's not what my expectation would be in the here and now. Uh, and, and that feels like a change. I don't know if it really is a change, but I would I would expect the employees to abide by policy. And I would expect them to be stripped of the ability to make independent decisions. I would expect them to mostly be contractors who don't work for the school anyway and aren't responsible for the decisions. So, like, they might think that was a really stupid decision. At every other event I've worked, they don't make that decision. But I don't work for these people. I don't make their decisions. I have no idea who they are. Right. So, like, I don't know. You know, um, I don't know who's in the costumes. I don't know who bosses around these people. My job is to sell hot dogs. I come from Hot Dog Incorporated. Right. Like that's my job. I don't know. <laughs> like uh, oh, that, that's another crisis of centralization too, right? That of special specialty. Yeah, Joey Chestnut right. is just eating all of them, so it's all the hot dogs are being centralized. I mean, it's, it's Joey yeah, Chestnut. it's it's like Cisco or something like that. Yeah, not yeah. the not the router, not the networking company. The, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The SYS, SYS, CEO. The yeah, you know the. Uh, and it's interesting because for each individual company, you might think that 
you might think what you're doing is outsourcing, right? You take these functions that uh, you are doing with these small groups of staff within your own organization and you ship them out to a contractor that does them because you feel like they're not part of what you're good at as an organization. You don't want to bother training these people. Like this is this whole side thing that distracts you from your core business. So you think that you're sort of creating this side group and sort of devolving this to a bunch of specialists, except if everybody is all doing it to the same people, then what you're all really doing is centralizing it into a big conglomerate that does all the hot dogs, mm. right? Like, uh, and in that case, the sense that you're getting these specialists who will be the people who will be responsive to the problems that you have more so than the people in your own group who you might not be able to train or educate or supervise. That might not be the case because they in turn might be so separated from their own centralized leadership that they might not be in a position to to provide their uh, immediate expertise to the situation. Um, and this just seems to tug both ways because I've worked crisis communications and I know you really, really, really don't want people out there just mouthing off about stuff that happens. They don't. They might not know what happened. They almost certainly don't know what happened, but they also don't know about the implications. They might not know what's at stake, right? Everybody thinks they have an opinion like us. Um, right. And, and also and just like, le- oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Pete, Pete, finish your thought before. I oh, and the last thing would be like, and they might be trying to help, but they might be distracted or tired or not very good at it and say something that they don't mean and make a mistake that they don't intend to make. And then, then they end up being on the hook for something that they originally didn't have anything to do with. And we're just trying to help. Right. And that's not a hypothetical or that happens all. Oh yeah. Time yeah. Yeah. In crises. Yeah. Right. You could like point to like, you know, like uh, any major incident in a major city where various police officers or, you know, first responders will, um, you know, will speak off the record to the press when they're not authorized to do so. And misinformation just like spreads like wildfire in like the first like three hours or so. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, because of these sorts of things going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, right. It's almost like we find ourselves in a, in a kind of information economy for which we are ill suited, you know, to, yeah. for, uh, for a number of reasons, some of them like evolutionary and some of them, you know, a little more practical, but yeah, I mean like the, the, you know what I'm you know what I'm thinking about right now is I'm thinking about all the all the travel mishaps that are going on now as like this kind of huge market as this big appetite for travel uh I don't want to say post covid but uh you know in the midst of of the ongoing championship season yeah. um the like, pent up covid related travel demand <laughs> there you go right? yeah covid related yeah. travel demand i think yeah. is probably a good way of putting it that like um think you know thinking about all of that like uh, and how, you know, the, we're, we're just kind of like rushing back without any r- real infrastructure, without adequate infrastructure for the, you know, I don't know. I haven't, I mean, I'm not following this. So this is probably irresponsible for me to repeat rumors, but I understand there have been like some problems at like Heathrow airport, which, you know, that's an important one. <laughs> and, yeah. and, um, that like, uh, you know, the, to, to the point where it's just been like, yeah, don't, don't sell more tickets. Don't like, don't, don't have more, stop having flights is the only solution to the, uh, reasonable solution to the problem at, at this point. And, um, you know, I, I just like, I remember times in my life, one, one actually flying to Overthinker Mapalinki's bachelor party when I was, uh, I came into like Dulles at, one in the morning or something like that. And there was a storm and my connect, I was late for my connecting flight and three flights had been canceled and everyone was angry. And like, everyone was shouting at these poor disempowered, uh, you know, customer service reps, like who couldn't do anything, 
you know, mm-hmm. who, who could, who were completely disempowered, like who couldn't like, I'm not, I'm not sure what would have solved people. I guess hotel vouchers really at that point is what money, we, money we, fixes it. Yeah, I guess so. Like, <laughs> is, them. <laughs> no, maybe it, not, maybe it doesn't is Sorry, what the needful ahead. things. Well, right. Yeah. And I think those, like those offers for people to give up their seats have gotten pretty high recently, yeah. actually. Um, but the, uh, you know, the whole, yeah, the whole thing, um, uh, the whole kind of sad, the whole sad spectacle. And like, I don't know, like, I, I don't want to be like, Hey, I'm, I'm like cool customer service guy. And I like, you know, I, I get your predicament, man. But like, I, I just try to be nice and humane when I have to deal with someone in that, in that thing. And like now, like people, people are saying like, uh, you know, announcements over, over loudspeakers, like just use the app. Like we can't help you. <laughs> just just use just use the app and so you have the, you know you have this situation where like jobs that were challenging anywhere would be very challenging for me because they involve like interacting with the interacting with the general public are are made more so because you're sort of disempowered from actually addressing any of the things that people are screaming at you about mm-hmm. uh and that that like um that this you know that that this is the sort of this is the sort. I, I I have a confession to make. I used to listen to uh, a little bit to the Adam Carolla podcast. Um, you know, I uh, I have a you know pre rational uh, kind of affection uh, for that particular radio host because of because uh, I grew up listening to Loveline in which was ah. bro- which was broadcast out of L.A. Um, in the, in the nineties, you know, and I would go to sleep listening to it as a, as a teenager. And it was this thing I would sneak and, you know, and when I say like, I I would listen to the man's podcast, I would put the man's podcast on when I started actually listening (laughs) to the podcast, (laughs) I I stopped listening to the podcast (laughs) in, uh, in, in pretty short order. But one of the, you know, one of the things that, that, uh, that he, he says that's like it's wrong, but it's not wrong. Um, it's actually a, a part of the problem with that guy. But like, uh, it's you know, whenever we, any time we sort of seem to have any advancement in like technology or anything, we we deputize. Well, he he looks at the the customer service reps as malevolent, right? Like we we deputize people to make our lives miserable for you know uh, for eight. 49 an hour uh that that is to say like the the person that you're yelling at from the cable company on the phone is actually you know is actually like uh lawful evil you know is really there to make your (laughs) is really there to make your life miserable is trying to make your life miserable rather than you know this person is a you know is a uh disempowered like alienated cog in a machine and like you yelling at that person you know like uh what whatever weird uh childhood trauma you're reenacting like you're you're not helping uh and like actually th- this this person's life is is actually a misery the likes of which you can't even kind of begin to to comprehend because it's it's just kind of like uh it's you know it's like it's like star trek 5 you know like tell me about your pain tell me <laughs> t- share 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 with me your pain and that's all they can do you know um 
And, uh, and so like, I, this is the, I, the, Pete, of what, of what you've said, this is the interesting part. This is the interesting part for me is that we seem to be like, uh, you know, structurally, structurally incapable of, structurally incapable of fixing the problem. Have you ever tried to figure out where a UPS package has gone? I, I defy you to figure out where a lost UPS package is. And they just end up sending you another thing from Amazon and hoping it goes better next time. And like, you got to think about how sick that system is. Not like, not in, in a, in a, a, a sort of a, a literally metaphorical way, right? Like in the sense that, that there can be a kind of a disease of systems like, Oh, you know, we, this, this one was a misfire. And so these like these goods or services are now like, you know, floating around the ether somewhere like there's a card, you know, somewhere there's a karmic cardboard box just like sitting on a doorstep somewhere, you know, or like in a vacant lot or something like that. And like, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to ship you another uh, gross of uh, uh, another gross of bounty paper towels or whatever and hope that this one makes it to you. But you know what? We're going to try this as many times as we need to just keep shipping you uh keep shipping you shipping you paper towels now i i want to i want to uh present an alternate sort of vision of of how i've seen this go but like but I, i'll i'll pause here just to see if anyone has reactions to anything that i brought up so far i have never experienced UPS being worse than any of the other carriers. Oh, sure. I mean, they're, they're not, not like, not them in particular. Not the, they're a, uh, that's the only a, thing I'm saying. I like, I don't think I've had that experience with UPS specifically, but I've had that experience. That's there's, for sure. there's a, yeah, they're a, what, a synecdoche. That's a synecdoche. It's a yeah. substitution of the part for the whole. Before we move on from this, like, can you just cash out just a little bit, like, why, like, package tracking in particular is, is like a symptom of these these broader problems because like from from what i understand like you know the ability to track individual parcels you know generally speaking has gotten really good right like there of course are exceptions right when something slips through the um slips out of the rails um then it like it practically disappears like is that kind of what you're getting at like when you get out of like a highly centralized like extremely technology driven workflow then like the the individual humans have no capacity to figure out what's going on yeah well and and that's right and then there's there there's also a last mile thing right like because the thing is not done by robots you know the the ultimate delivery actually the 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 kind of in flow uh thing is like done by robots actually largely at this point in the giant um you know highly centralized (laughs) You know, facilities in, in what, like Lexington, Kentucky or something, wherever these, these giant kind of mega airport warehouse, uh, things are. They're actually like, as a logistics nerd, Mark, if you haven't looked into the routing of packages, uh, I, like, I highly, you'll, you'll go down a months long rabbit hole of like internet articles and videos and, and stuff because it's, it's miraculous. It's like, it, it will make you, it will make you marvel at the achievements of humanity to see what, what happens. And I, I actually like one is a, a rat hole, but, one thing I heard, and I can't source this, so I'm sure it's true. Um, I can't remember where it came from. Was that like there is a drop dead moment at the like the central FedEx facility, uh, where it's like all the processing has to be done by this whatever it is, like one twenty seven and 
50 seconds in the morning or something like that. Everything that's coming in and going out has to be at least through, has to be ingested into the system by this moment or else we lose $10 million a second. Like as the, you know, as the, in, in the late fees, the, the accumulated, mm. uh, late fees of the thing. And, and that's great. Okay. Great. And yeah, some things fall off the rails and, and stuff. And like there are ways to, to address that as long as it's a, uh, highly centralized system. But there's a last mile problem, right? Like where did, you know, uh, if you live in an apartment building, like where did they leave? You know, the, the box of pampers that they're supposed to, to drop off and that you urgently need, you know, where, where did they leave that? Oh, okay. Uh, at the, at the door. Well, did they go in the door box or, or not? Well, I, I don't know. It was out. Okay. Did it get stolen? Whose fault is that? Did they throw it over a fence? Was it the right fence or the fence of the thing of the property next door? You know, is that, and like very often, oh, well, we take pictures of these things. We take pictures of our package deliveries. And so you get a completely context free picture of a cardboard box sitting on a sidewalk without any indication of what building <laughs> it's in front of. You know, and I definitely got pictures of packages at other people's houses just being like, okay, that's not, that's not where I am. I don't know why this is helpful to me <laughs> yeah exactly you know and it's like and yeah. if you go if you get on the the phone with someone they'll google street view your house and like try to like you know could it be behind the the like the stand of hedges that's uh halfway up the stairs it's like we changed all of that landscaping six months ago the google car hasn't re-indexed our our uh our street yet like and and so like it's it's at those points and then there's no you know there's no way there's no way to deal with it and anyone you talk to has no power to sort of do anything but like make some guesses or like you know i don't know listen to you listen to you bellyache which you know i'm sure is is great for their own their own psyches i mean that's what i was talking about mark i i had one experience that is a little instructive in this area uh that i think was probably about 10 years ago at this point um so things were a little bit different it was it was it was pre everybody ordering everything from Amazon all the time. Uh, and I think it was UPS. But you know what? Let's just say it was a package carrier. Uh, I lived very close to Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And I lived with some people who worked there at the time. And uh, and as you might expect, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology gets a lot of packages. A lot of them are probably sensitive chemicals. Right. Uh, robot parts, computer parts, all sorts of stuff. Lots of physical goods are traveling from all over the country into the Massachusetts Institute of Technology at any given time. And I happened to be on, let's say, the UPS route from that went to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And I was at the end of it. It was basically like whenever I got a package, it would go on the truck that went to MIT. And then after everything was delivered to MIT, it would come to me, which meant that I never got a package before like nine or 10 o'clock at night. Uh, which I'm sure was was not the way that it was supposed to go, but that was just the reality on the ground, right? And this and this is what I'm talking about. Like the person who drove the truck knew that this was the reality of her job. That she had to hit, she had to go to these big loading docks. Her job was atypical for delivery for somebody with her kind of work, and it didn't quite fit the expectations that the customers had for how things were going to go. And you know, sometimes I'd order things overnight, like I'd want something shipped right away, or I needed something the next day for whatever reason, or somebody shipped something to me that. 
was like sensitive. Uh, and I actually had an arrangement with her where if there was something that I really needed that I know was supposed to come in that day, I could go to MIT and find her truck. And she would. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. And she but would try to help me. Totally out. the exception, right? The exception to prove oh, yeah. the rule here. Talking Nobody about. could. If you did that, like you have to be in such a weird situation in order for that to even be like a conceivable issue. And also, I feel like if people knew she was doing this, she would have gotten in trouble and would have told her to stop. Right. Like uh, but but this but I think that what we're identifying here is is that it's more complex than the idea of just being part of a system. Right. I think that there's the sort of. Night, there's the Kafka-esque idea of everything that's part of a big system like this is a nightmare. It's all dehumanizing. It's all terrible, right? Um, and um, and it all makes you feel like you are alienated from yourself, your body, your friends, your family, everything, right? Um, but I think we're trying to identify something a bit more specific, which is this discontinuity, even in the scope of these systems, between the devolved and sort of spread out and I would call what like Dunbar number mediated. I like the Dunbar number. I think we've talked about it before. Maybe you don't like the Dunbar number, but I'd say like Dunbar number mediated uh, exchanges, wherein like you are dealing with someone who every day deals with a number of people that is like conceivable for a human being to deal with in a day, right? As opposed to dealing with somebody who deals with a million people a day or 10,000 people a day in which they can't possibly care about you. Right. Uh, but somebody who has to actually go to the houses or has to actually talk to the people is dealing with you in a very fundamentally different way than this this other system. And and I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, where we have this mythology that it's all being automated, but it's it's not right. It's that it's that you have the automated system that's kind of hooking into the meat space parts, you know, and I, and I use the evocative, painful imagery on purpose. But uh, but that there are these handoffs between systems where individual people do have to deal with individual people at individual people type scaling. And of course, the people running the system would really rather not do that because it's expensive and because, you know, it's it can be slow and because it can be you know, complicated. And, and, uh, but at the same time, if you move away from doing that, it's not like the work automatically does itself. Um, even if you take pictures of the work not getting done, uh, and then upload them, right? Like, uh, and I know you're hitting your performance numbers and none of this is just ad hoc and at random, but, um, but I think it's no, but that's, I think that's important, Pete, that like, like you are hitting your performance numbers, right? Like it goes, it goes okay enough times, yeah. Right. That people will pay for the service or whatever, or continue to continue to, to use the service. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, uh, my mother happened to work in aerospace and told me stories of contracting, uh, for IT support services for like a large organization building like major satellites, uh, you know, communication satellites. And like they contracted for like, uh, you know, a 75 or 80%, uh, uh, approval rating of the thing and like when the when the approval ratings got too high they'd pull technicians off of the contract you know <laughs> so that they could get to that 80 percent mark because if they were get if they were providing better service than that they were they were throwing money away and that's um you know that's the that's the mentality right like everything is great as long as everything always goes great uh, but the second it's, it's even a little bit, the second the, the unexpected happens or the second, like, yeah, like an, an, an outlier, a second, an anomaly, an anomalous UPS route, you know, uh, 
uh, uh, interferes in the in the system. Um, you know, to, to all of a sudden, Pete's having to make a uh, side deals with his UPS driver, and that's um, that's not a place anywhere wants to be. Yeah, I would also suggest that part of why this is relevant is not just us complaining, but that it seems to be in the culture emerging as a. I guess what a political economy problem like it really seems to be manifesting in the culture as an issue uh, that is going to have and is already having real world consequences that that people who are working in the front lines have had to work in these learned helplessness environments that are really, really hard and unpleasant. And they've been not going to work right and they they've just and and also they've been deprived of their job security and and there's been lots of downscaling just constantly looking for ways to reduce the workforce you know in ways that of course seem necessary but over time job loss is traumatic and like job loss hits communities and, and it hurts it's some hard and, and so you have this kind of built up uh cost this sort of built up you know accumulated cost of this practice of you know hey i want to know I want to know whether there's a ramp to get into this movie theater. I call it movie theater. If you want to know what time the movies are, press one. If you want to know how to rent a room for a party, press two. If you want to speak to somebody, press three, press three. Have you tried going to our website, right? Like, like, and, and it's just the, the constant attempts to prevent you from having a potentially wasteful conversation while they are in the micro sense, achieving goals that make sense for the people in the central authority who are trying to do it. Uh, you know, I feel like are accruing, you know, and and even even independently of how unpleasant they just might make somebody's day. I feel like we need to confront the like, you know, Sesame Place sure would rather have had somebody talking, somebody who was Rosita's manager who could have talked to that woman and defuse that situation. Right. And maybe they do have that most of the time. And this time it just wasn't there or whatever. Right. But I think that there's a lot of jobs where you you see a huge lapse and you're like, man, it sure would have been better. If somebody had been there who could have done dealt with it, because by the time it got to the central offices and they reviewed it with the legal department and they ran it through five different revisions. And it's the 20th thing that that person is writing on that day. Right. Like and your Dunbar numbers are all off the charts. You're not responding in a timely way. You're not you know, you're struggling to be authentic. But the cost in sort of responsiveness is really high. Uh, and the and the opportunity cost of spending your time on this rather than on something else is also really high. So oh, it's Pete, not- I, I have the answer. You ready? What is it? Yeah. Chat bots. <laughs> ah, I'm like slow clapping because that's that's the like the most profound way to ignore the problem. Right. right? How can we create yeah. how can we create a simulacrum of someone yeah. listening to you? Yeah. Right. We want you to feel listened to. Right. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's exactly right. We want you to feel listened to without actually having to do the labor of listening to you. Yeah. Well, and not just that. It's because it's really for me, I really feel like it's about devolving decision making. I feel like that 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 when you are a frontline person, you need to be able to make decisions about your situation because of course Life finds a way and chaos theory is a reality, you know, whether in the real sense or in the Jurassic Park sense or like, you know, the all sorts of unexpected things do happen and uh, and you need to be able to attend to them. 
in order to do your job in the way that you feel is is the right way to do it and and that's going to get you the best results right um and so are you going to give people the ability to make those kinds of decisions or are you going to withhold it from them or are you going to fall for the trap of thinking oh i'll just decide when they need to be autonomous right which of course is gating their autonomy behind your decision making, which is the same as them having no autonomy at all, right. which is like, you know, yeah. So and sorry, go ahead, Mark. No, I wasn't. It oh, was Mark. Oh, it was me. And no, I was no, no. just I was just giving you a high five saying, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think this is an easy problem to solve, because, of course, like, the, you know, as again, it's like if you're I don't want to pretend like I am the expert in running a call center. Um, and, and that the answer is for people who've never run a call center before to be like, well, you should just hire five times as many people. Like, because, wait, 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 that's, but that's be- not a terrible, that's not a terrible thing because like, look, here's the, here's, here's the other side, right? Like yeah. here's where I, I, uh, here's here's the experience that i had that is the complete opposite of this i i once was was lucky enough to have uh through connections i mean i i don't think it's like hard to get i don't think it's like exclusive but i happened to get mine through connections dinner at la dan in new york uh the fancy fish restaurant i don't know if you're familiar but it's, it's called in, the fancy fish it's called the fancy fish restaurant okay. no it's called la right. dan yeah exactly okay. the, but they, uh, they made the fish sticks from scratch it's, not it's french you know le fancy oh, le, la dan is french for the fancy fish fish fancy you know ha 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 le poisson le poisson um and the like the uh experience was the like was a profound experience of a high level of service that I, I appreciated so much as someone who was in theater, uh, because it was so exquisitely choreographed and it was, it was done with the, the like under the guise of being effortless. Right. And it was like, and, and okay, you know, Matt's going to talk about his like fancy meal that, uh, you know, that cost thousands of dollars. Well, no, it didn't. I said I got it through a connection. You know, they, they like roll this out of that restaurant, uh, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty well drunk to, uh, go back to our hotel. And they charged us for like, uh, you know, fish sticks and a Chardonnay, I think was what was on the bill at the, at the end of that, because they thought we were someone because someone who was someone made the reservations for us. Right. And so, so the, uh, but like the, the whole, the whole theater. So, you know, I didn't actually have a nice thing. That's what I'm saying. I feel defensive. I feel defensive. I didn't actually have a nice thing, but, um, I was so like moved by this, uh, by this thing to sort of see how, how good it could be. And there was this like elaborate, uh, and completely, um, you know, subtle, uh, theater of just making sure that like whatever need, like when you reached for a fork, like almost right at that moment it was slid into the place where your finger didn't even know it wanted to go uh to to pick it up right like uh you know my date had a purse and the little like purse have you ever seen the little purse stool in a in a fancy fish french fish restaurant like the purse stool like just sort of materialized under the bag as it was as it was being done it was like full-on downton abbey um full-on downton abbey type of stuff and like i i uh observed a couple things about it like the the it's it's this 
it's difficult to articulate. You can hear me kind of struggling more than usual to like articulate what I'm talking about because, because it's a little hard to communicate the feeling that that, that that does. And I, I would say that that, you know, in addition to, but almost more than the quality or the, you know, elaborate preparation of any food that you get in a setting like that, like the, the setting is almost co- communicates more, uh, about the thing. But one, it took, probably a dozen people all in to like organize this this dinner for two now they had other tables as well but like at in order to achieve the effect uh Mm. it took maybe a dozen people um so so it's expensive two they had practiced you know they were like highly trained uh to to the point where like you know, I don't know, the, the food goes down and like the knife for this course goes down and then the whoever's setting the knife like walks around behind you and puts the fork down on the other side because they can't reach across you, right? That's a big no-no. And what's happening to you is happening in mirror image to the other person on the other side of the table or to the six other people if you're a six top, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like the, the amount of choreography, like it was, you know, extraordinarily, uh, it was extraordinarily practiced. And like, if you express a preference for something, more of that thing happens. Or if you like kind of develop a joke like that, it will return in a weird way. So like- there's like a machine, there's like an analog machine learning algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's a yeah, it's like uh it's it's analog learning. It's not even it's oh. it's a it's solid state, Pete. It's not even it's not even not even it's digital. It's a wet space learning computer. But it's like it's but my, my point is it's expensive because it yes. involves a lot of people and it's hard, you know? And it also it involves subsidiarity, right? Like it it involves devolving decision-making authority to the lowest level competent to make that decision rather than the highest level, uh, you know, just, just by, by default. And like, I think that like, you know, if you're ever lucky enough, if you are ever sort of privileged enough to, to get one of these sort of world-class hospitality experiences, whether it's in a really fancy restaurant or what, or, or a less fancy restaurant where the people around you just give a damn, you know, uh, maybe it's a, a family run thing, you know, and that's, that's like what, uh, that's what accounts for the, the, good service or in a, in a hotel, uh, or whatever. But like for, for, because the, the norm now is this, uh, what you're calling a crisis of centralization, this experience of actual like humane treatment, um, of, uh, you know, of customers, right. Only happens at a, at a scale. Very few people can, can, uh, have certainly can't have it all the, all the time. And that's, uh, you know, it's both um, it's both instructive and also kind of kind of tragic, right? That that uh, you know, which you would think of as like just being being an, uh, a normal level of of uh, being uh, seen and taken care of in in the course of like a uh, an interaction where you kind of need something um, is uh, I don't know, is so rare and so so difficult to yeah. difficult to bring about. My reaction is that it's also frightening from a human capital perspective, right? That like these the the the, the talent level and the caliber uh, for the person that you need to uh, be successful in this type of service job is is very high, 
right? And so a place like Laburn or Dan or a fancy hotel is going to uh, hire and, and get the best of, of, of the best. And like the broad remainder swath of this of the service worker population, um, it just keeps getting pushed down to this lowest common denominator. I mean, like we've, we've, we've talked about this um, before, um, but that like it really redounded upon me where like, you know, when you look at the winners, in this sort of thing, you can, I kind of only am able to see losers, uh, the the huge the huge pile of losers that this whole thing is is built on top of. And like, uh, I don't know, we're we're kind of getting towards the end of this thing here. Like, uh, um, we're we're painting a pretty bleak picture of you know hyper industrialized and information um, driven uh, the, the the economy uh, and our way of life that we've built it now. Um, I, I'm afraid there's kind of no turning back on this. Right, you know, sort of withdrawing from society and going living in like a very remote part of the world, um, and in in large ways, like kind of like you know pre-industrials kind of way. So like, I'm trying to see if we can kind of end this on a little more of a positive and constructive note about like you know like ways our individual choices can um, kind of run counter to these uh, toxic trends that we're seeing here, or if there's just like another way to kind of rationalize the whole thing. I mean, it's not all bad. Like, no, 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 it's it's not. Right, the centralization and the efficiency um, that come from a lot of things we've talked about have enabled huge benefits. Yeah, like that are, like you know we don't have the time to, to get into um, on this podcast, but like you know like the free time that we have to do this in, on top of our familial and professional obligations, like you know is a, by and large a, a large product. I mean, I guess one one um, I, well yeah they're they're not they're not sort of unmixed. I mean, I've kind of mixed feelings about. These people, but like one model I'd, uh, I'd look at. Um, I mean, and let's, let's actually, let's just set aside the idea that you can pay people a living wage, you know, meet their medical needs, you know, give, give them, uh, a social safety net like that. You know, let's just, let's just flush that, that preposterous idea down the toilet. Agreed? Like what is it? All right, go ahead. I'll just shut up. You go ahead. You just go ahead. Talk about your fancy restaurants and stuff. Go for it. You know, that's because that that's what it would take. You're right. Like, and and we don't have the political will. <laughs> that, that wouldn't do it, Matt. That's not what we're talking about. It's not just paying the money. It's giving them decision making authority. Right. Like that's such an important part of valuing your work and like is feeling useful and and feeling not just useful, but like like you have power and and the learned helplessness is just psychologically crushing. Right. Like so you could. Yes, it would be really, really nice to make a lot more money. And that's part of it. But I was I was suggesting that more as like that's a factor that's exacerbating this further crisis, too. So it's sort of like you could just fix that. But I don't necessarily think that it would fix the problems that we're talking about. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's sort of both. It's, uh, so I don't want to say it's not important. Sure. I, well, I, yeah. I guess I, I was making a couple leaps and connect and connections yeah. in my head that I, that I was not making explicit. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Um, and actually, you know, once I make them out loud, you, you might not agree that they, that they would solve the problem, but I think a secure, uh, I, you know, I think a secure and sort of engaged, uh, workforce would bring about, I mean, would at least go a lot farther towards bringing about the kinds of things, uh, that you're talking about rather than like a highly alienated, uh, completely insecure, you know, terrified and, uh, uh, what just, just completely, uh, beaten down, uh, workforce, you know, working 
two full-time jobs with no yeah. no benefits for like uh you know for for barely scraping together a barely scraping together a living like the the uh, i think if you a uh I don't know, an, an energized and economically secure community will throw up better, will throw up better leaders and have the room to make, you know, I don't know, have the room to agitate for sort of better, better conditions. But that's, but that's, that's sort of neither here nor there. I, I, one, one successful thing that, that I've seen is like, um, that gets tossed around a lot is a fast food restaurant, um, that is privately owned by like, uh, uh, a family whose politics I don't like. And like, it's, you know, you gotta have to kind of set them aside. But if you look at, uh, if you look at it operationally in an outburger is not, is not the worst thing in the world. Like it's, it, it, if you're going to get a fast food job as a teenager, say, I feel like in an outburger is in the top tier of ones that you could possibly get. And it, it combines being both kind of highly standardized, but also, uh, in in a weird way sort of re- well in a in some way kind of respectful of its uh respectful of its employees it trains people you know it hi- it hires and promotes internally um it, it it kind of finds managers among its rather than bringing them in from outside you know bringing them in from like a managerial class it sort of grows them uh homegrown and like you know pays wages that are that are at the top of the thing for for the industry and it's it's one of the only models i've seen where the kind of um a, a kind of centralization, a kind of standardization, which is not bad like i don't want to i don't want to guess whether the burger is going to be great or terrible uh kind seems to seems to coexist with um seems to coexist with you know some modicum of uh you know some modicum of um uh, ability to, uh, giving people the ability to like make decisions and and do things like they'll they'll alter the menu and they'll give you they'll give you more sauce you can get more sauce pete you can have more yeah, sauce i had this aha moment right you're talking about having your animal fries and eating them too <laughs> right I'm, I'm i'm like not even joking about it right like the whole uh thing about there's like the secret things off the menu right like it just all kind of came into focus there or like it, it, it gives you like some simu- simulacrum isn't quite the right word for it but like there is this like kind of paradoxical standardized way of letting people go off the rails sure well that's i that's yeah that's interesting i mean more e- even more than you can like um i don't know they'll they'll do stuff that you ask like out of the you know they can sort of fix it you know or or make it be kind of the way uh make it be kind of the way you like and and like it's one of the things is that it's privately held so that i think goes a long way towards uh towards sort of making this happen because they can prioritize different things than like the next uh quarterly earnings report but but it's uh you know and and like it's i'm not i'm not painting a picture of a you know empowered utopia uh or a great new model of customer service i'm talking about a fast food restaurant (laughs) run by a run by a uh you know secretive and you know politically uh well uh politically problematic uh type of family but like it, it there are i think there are models for uh, making it uh, making it better, I don't know, Pete. You, you're probably unsatisfied with any of the things that I've just said. No, 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 no. That's that's fair. I think um, because I think it's go. I was just trying to. I was trying. We don't have time, but I was going to try to carry this a little bit beyond just the issue of whether we have good positive customer service experiences because it's um, it's a much bigger issue. 
and so I kind of feel like, yeah, we can prop up customer service and that's great. Um, and in this case, I think, I think I, there's probably a, this is probably a good example. Internet Burger is probably a good example. I can think of other chains, you know, Costco comes up a lot mm. where, you know, and, and I think that here, here's, here's what I'm, here's what I really, how I really want to articulate it, which is, um, I, I, people's livelihood is always under threat in my mind, right? I, I, I sort of come into the world with a bit of a worst case scenario perspective with the idea that like your livelihood can always be taken away from you and just sort of being given a livelihood while, which is really nice. Um, what, what feels better is being given the power to take a livelihood Right. And I like to take a life, not like a Highlander situation, but like like knowing that there's something that you have, whether whether it's like being whether it's something like extra like social, like being part of a union or a degree of skill that, you know, that that you can parlay into. Oh, I can leave this job and go to a different job if I need to. Or like um, knowing that uh, that, okay, we have a whole bunch of different branches. But like if I run my branch really well then like, I'm going to do good. You know, I'm going to do well for myself and, and the people here are going to do well. Just the idea of like, um, you know, be having some sort of juice box to go back to the Sesame street example, uh, some, some sort of, um, power in whatever sort of relationship it is that, that generates for you, you know, your livelihood is, is really, I think really, really important. And, um, and I think that it does secure – it does – it can – I feel like it ought to, and I think in a lot of examples, secures better pay and benefits to have power in the situation where you're working. And it's sort of like – it's like the tail and the dog, right? Which comes first, the the money or the power, right? I guess first you get the money, then you get the power. When you get – no, is it then you get the that, – then that's, that's too misogynistic. Then you get the cookies. Then you get the cookies. But yeah, but like um, – that that if you have a company or an organization rather that that not rather like WR but rather comma R um, that has found a value in making sure that the people who are dealing with you know manageable numbers of people in the course of their day uh, that they're there to make decisions that are important and useful. And that they are empowered to use those decisions, then you should definitely be paying them in that manner. And that they, it kind of goes both ways, right? Which is that by withdrawing funding for that, you're sort of saying you don't believe in it, that you don't believe that these people have the capacity to make meaningful decisions that could affect their outcomes. It's basically, are people working to not get fired or are they working for, you know, reward, right? Um, whether that's, you know, capital R, lowercase R, whatever you want to say, do you really think that people are going to, or things are going to work better if people do a better job? And in that case, are you compensating them with that in mind? Um, it, it, I think it's sort of an important way of thinking about all these sorts of things, but I think this stuff works in the public, public sector too. It's not necessarily just about profit. Um, but I just, but I just think that, um, really, I think part of the issue here is once you start withdrawing that authority, that that um, purpose, usefulness, and then also compensation and resources from this sort of work that happens on a scalable level 
like a, on, a, on a level that's at scale with other human beings, you also lose visibility into the impact that not doing this is having on your business, I think. Um, you can say that your data is going to give you that and is going to plug all the gaps for you. But of course, the data reports are being developed by people who aren't necessarily out there on the front lines and knowing what data matters. There's a lot of ways to miscalculate your data. There's a lot of ways to build models that don't work. And there's also a lot of ways to run a model that doesn't work for a lot of years without knowing that it's not working because you don't give anybody in the front line any authority to tell you that you're an idiot, right? Um, and and I think that – so that guess that's basically what, I, what I'm sort of coming down to is um, that that it's – that it, it's, it feels like it's worth work that is more worth doing than the various commercial and public systems at large seem to think that it is. And that they are making a mistake. They're not just doing something that's selfish. They're in error, both in their own enterprises a lot of the time, and then in particular, in this sort of larger socialized risk of what happens to large groups of people who all are rendered helpless, right, or who are all taught over the course of every day of their professional lives that all the major problems need to be pawned off on some bigger authority, right? It's like, I mean, because what's the, that's the other, that's really what it comes around to for me is that like the end result of all of this isn't like just the impoverished, you know, uh, the impoverished workers who had previously been, uh, you know, in, in, in a situation, you know, in these sorts of cycles and whatnot, where they were more powerful, better paid, but also like more, had more of a say and more of a role in what was going on, that those people, if they're neglected, will pick someone to be the central authority, right? Like if, if the model is that, well, you don't get to make the decision, the central authority gets to make the decision. Well, you don't get yet to do this, you your manager gets to do it. And does your, ask your manager, do they get to do it? Oh no, their, their manager gets to do it. And if it's just an endless cycle of like, Talk to my manager, talk to their manager, talk to the the quarter headquarters. I just work here. I don't know. I feel like there that there there's this pointing and this directing towards this numinal notion of the central authority that when you get into the middle of these organizations don't really exist. It's it's not like the person who's sitting in the middle of all this stuff is like, you know, the god emperor of Dune and who's able to like metabolize all of the, you know, genetic memory of all of humanity or whatever and is able to like deal with everybody's problems. They're going to triage and deal with like, you know, a dozen problems a day maybe. And and meanwhile, there's probably hundreds that are being kicked up to them. So a lot of the time, there's just nobody doing it. And, and you know, the buck often doesn't stop. It just runs into the gutter or off a cliff, right? Like it's and, – and I think that's the situation that I'm really scared of, which is just this notion of uh, if everybody's habituated into thinking that there needs to be a better place for the buck to stop, that's when you start seeing like real enthusiasm for the sort of mythologized centralization being imbued into a person who, of course, can't possibly live up to the uh, to the to the idea that they could actually solve any of these problems, but it can get up to a lot of other mischief in the meantime. So I, I don't know. know. I, I like, we, got, we, got, we, we got to wrap this here, but I know, like, I know. like okay, like every that last part that you just talked about about the buck not stopping, it's kind of rolling off into the gutter. Like, really encapsulates like uh, the tail end of my experience in uh, municipal government, <laughs> and that's a topic for a whole other yeah. podcast. Yeah, absolutely, and and uh, I, I, but I, I think that whatever is wrong, uh, dear leader, will be able to save us. Look, I'm the- just saying that from my point of view, the. Gen- 
Jedi are evil. <laughs> no, no, but it's it's from a certain point of view. Don't you understand? If there was one emperor who everything happened according to his design, we, this isn't Obi Wan Part Three, right? This is uh, <laughs> we're not. This is not all about like Obi Wan. No, this is this is about the Jar Jar spinoff show where um, the Senator Binks, like you know, declares his vote of uh, you know to to, to nominate uh, Senator. Palpatine as the Chancellor. Oh, there we go. Excellent. He's the one who's going to fix it. He Disney alone can plus. fix it. And again, all of the recipes are <laughs> according to my to my plan. All right. Uh, next time on the Overthinking It uh, podcast, Grover's shocking anti-Semitism. Not <laughs> <laughs> for your little furry pal, Grover. Yeah, I knew there was a monster at the end of the book. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, thanks for listening to the Overthinking Podcast, Pete and Mark. Thanks always. This was a, a great conversation. We can continue it uh, in the forums or on the uh, the forums. We don't have forums anymore. Thank goodness. We uh, we have a um, comment section though. So if you uh, click or tap through on the show notes, you'll be able to uh, uh, write there. And uh, management will be reading all of those. <laughs> Uh, we'll be reading all of those comments and responding. Nah, it's, it's just a chatbot, Matt. It's really just a chatbot. Let's be level with our, with our it's it's Mattbot the chatbot. Um the uh yeah, and uh, and on the Discord we continue to uh we continue to elevate the uh the level of the discourse on the internet single handedly in the uh, uh in the many channels on our Discord. You can uh you know, uh, hit me up if you want access to that because uh, people don't click the links when I post them. Um, so, hey, uh, we'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Until then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.